Hi, I'm Professor Beck Straw. And I'm Professor Eric Bronson, and you're listening to Prison Breakdown. Two, three, break! Keep the spoilers fun, but we're gonna bust out of here! Two, three, break! I'm locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Ahoy, dudes! Welcome to Prison Breakdown. I'm Professor Beck Straw, and joining me, this is Professor Eric Bronson. Ahoy! And as always, we are joined by producer Britt. Hello. What a show today. We have a real spectacle for you. I, well, I love that a spectacle. Spectacle. It's perfect. Guest, guest appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a real spectacle for you today. Students are going to be joining us to talk about their experiences touring the Rhode Island Department of Corrections facilities. Producer Britt is going to hit us with a very special edition of Movie Minute. Very prison themed this week. But first, Bronson, you got some of that news? Yes, we got some news off the razor wire. Fresh news, hot off the razor wire. Well, it's uh, in today's political world... It's kind of shocking that we have a bipartisan movement on anything, let alone punishment. But lawmakers are pushing for federal prison oversight after NPR investigated the conditions of health care in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So a couple key senators, namely Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, and Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, are working together to respond to the report from NPR. So this report came out in September of this year, showing the federal prison, federal uh, bureau prisons, and the prisoners that have died from treatable conditions that are not diagnosed or treated, and or nor are they treated in a timely way within the prison system. So Durbin was quoted as saying, "It is deeply upsetting that families are mourning the loss of their loved ones because they." were not afforded the proper medical care they deserved while incarcerated. The Bureau of Prisons must immediately prioritize correcting the ineffective, harmful standards and procedures used to determine when an incarcerated person will be seen by medical professionals. Um, so I, I think this is, you know, it's great that we have politicians paying attention to the health care inside prisons, but what NPR did was they investigated Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, and their medical care specifically, and, and it found that 4,950 inmates all right, over the last decade had died while in custody. Yeah. I mean, that that's a huge number, 4,950. Wait, 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 wait. Roll it um, back. Died from medical conditions related to like some kind of ongoing illness that, that is a preventable death? Yeah. So the, either they weren't receiving treatment, they weren't being diagnosed, um, uh, they weren't receiving it often enough, but um, 
most often that just was not attended to in any way. Um, and obviously one of the biggest, the biggest issues is the lack of medical staff that work that are available to work inside the institution. And, you know, one of the, um, the director for the Bureau of Prisons, Colette Peters, um, has, has discussed this in front of the House Oversight uh, Committee uh, on the Federal Bureau of Prisons, talking about the number of staff they have. And uh, as of this past fall, so in, in October, or excuse me, in, uh, yeah, in October, um, 90% of the Bureau's funded positions were filled. Um, however, there are some prisons where that's all the way down to 50%. Uh, of individuals in those positions that are funded in the healthcare setting. So the healthcare staffing can be in some institutions all the way down to 50%. So that's the big issue is that we don't have enough staff. We also know that we don't put enough funding towards um, ensuring that individuals get proper medical care while they are locked up. So it, I think it's wonderful that we have this bipartisan um, initiative coming from um, coming from the Senate um, to to look at this and and to see you know what what's you know what's a way for for us to get after this and make sure that people are getting getting the proper treatment they need, but all you know making sure that they are being diagnosed first off. I mean that that I think is a simple step is let's get them diagnosed and figuring out what it, what it is, but. Um, it's a, it's a good move, you know, going in the right direction, coming out of, you know, <laughs> coming out of Congress, coming out of Washington, which we don't get much good news from these days. Right. And, and I love to see that the healthcare system in prisons is under a microscope. It's just tragic and so sad that it took almost 5,000 deaths to get here. Right. And 5,000 deaths in a decade. That's, man, that's an unbelievable amount of deaths. Um, Right. I, I think that this this is something I, I think we need to do a couple episodes on um, and see if we can get some some other guests to 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 join us on this that that have some firsthand experience, whether it's from the Federal Bureau of Prisons or um, somebody in healthcare and and one of the state prisons, just to talk about honestly about you know what what the situation is and what's going on, so that all of our subscribers and listeners can get a better understanding of what, what the real issues are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. And so go back to it's, it's a bill that's going through the Senate right now. It hasn't been passed. So what, uh, they're responding. So Durbin and, and Grassley were responding to this report from NB, NPR. So pretty much is, right now they are simply, raising the issue and it's it's you know they're they're talking about it which is something that um that uh that that is i think it's a it's good that they're just calling for there to be oversight and so that's that's where we're at right now there's not a bill or anything they're just calling for oversight of the federal bureau of prisons medical care um which uh, we could probably do that in every single prison system in the United States or God, around the world. Um, but yeah, so it's good that the that the feds are going to look at the Federal Bureau of Prisons because we know that's, you know, if they adopt something, um, some certain standards that most likely states will follow suit eventually. 
Yeah, and, and going back to the, the 5,000 almost that have, that have died in custody, is this just in federal prisons? Yes. That is wild. Yeah. So, you know, they, 100 and, what, what do they have, 160,000 on average, 160,000, I believe. Yeah, 160,000 federal inmates. Um, so... You know, on average, every year they have 160,000, you know, on a day, on a, any given day, they have 160,000 inmates under, under some form of supervision. That's a, whew, that's a large, that's a large number of people who can't make it because of, of healthcare that we think about that is, um, that where we could have just, uh, individuals, you know, being able to have things diagnosed or simple treatments. It sounds like, you know, we're not talking about, you know, tremendous rates of, of cancer. However, there are individuals who do have cancer and it's not diagnosed, but, um, so anyway, it's a blessing. They're down to 160,000 at this point too. It's of the, of the correctional entities out there, the, the federal system is one that has actually made some noticeable shrink, uh, noticeable not shrinkage. That's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, so, some noticeable uh, like gains in like uh, against mass incarceration over time, in terms of reducing their population, and I, even even in terms of of inmates incarcerated on drug crimes, it was fifty percent. Yeah. Just two or three years ago, 50% of federal inmates were there on drug crimes, and now it's down to 44%. It's still imperfect, but it is nice to see gains in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, you know, you know, calling for this oversight, is this going to allow for, um, I, I guess, you know, just a little bit more transparency or accountability um, in, uh, in creating uh you know, a livable environment for, for those that have been convicted of felonies at the federal level. So all, all for it. Absolutely. That is a big story. Thank you for sharing. You got any others up your sleeve? Nothing right now. We're, we're going to stick with this because it's such big news. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I think uh, we'll, we'll, we should have some updates to see where this goes. I'm going to pay... Um, really close attention to if anything comes from this or is this just typical poli- you know political speech um you know our, our talking heads in washington that are just saying whatever people want to hear and then not carrying it out hopefully there is some carry through on this but uh, no no other no other news off the the razor wire right now yeah and i i mean even spending time like raising the issue i think is important because i mean this is a bipartisan bill and these two people are doing it with like, you know, they're talking about um, ameliorating the lives of prisoners without any direct benefit towards themselves because most of these people can't vote. Correct. Yeah. No, that's a great point. So it's it. I think something's going to come from this. It's, uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously it took NPR making, you know, having a report, an investigation, publicizing this report. Um just uh but i I think some good's going to come out of this this is one of those times when you know where the media gets to really kind of sit back and say hey you know all from all the criticism that we get from 
you know, those on the right that, it, you know, that were fake news or, um, you know, we're, we're dividing America, we're terrible for the country, whatever it might be. This is one of those situations where, wow, look at, look at what they've been able to do in terms of their investigation and point out um, here's, here's something that, it, it, that needs some attention in our, in our prison system. Yeah, put a spotlight on that, dude. Absolutely. All right, shall we move on to interviews? Yes, this is, again, this is exciting. First, first time having guest, guests on our show. And, you know, it's going to be great to hear their perspective about um, their little prison visit with us that, um, where we took our students, our, some of our, our students in our classes, um, to visit the uh, medium security institution and the intake here at the uh, ACI in Rhode Island. Greetings. We are joined here today by one of our best and brightest from Roger Williams University. I can't see because she's out of frame, but we are joined by... Oh, it's Elena. Hi, Elena. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, would, would you state your name and uh, your major? Yeah. Um, my name is Elena Nigro. I'm a senior. I'm a psychology major and a minor in criminal justice. Do, do we forgive her for being a psych major? I mean, I, I was a psych major too, you, so I, I have no choice. <laughs> oh, following in your footsteps—that's not a—that's not a good plan. <laughs> I encourage it for all of our students. All right, so what what we're doing here is we're doing a little series about our visits to um, the Rhode Island Department of Corrections, and uh, we've in the last two podcasts we've talked about the institutions themselves and our perspectives. And one of the great things about being a professor in corrections is we get to expose people to the world of corrections, which is kind of hidden behind uh, the, the, you know, the concrete wall. So what we were hoping to get from the students is get your perspective on, you know, what, what you thought of your experience and, um, you know, kind of what you learned from it. But first thing, do you have any experience of going into prisons at all, any institutions, or was this, was this your first visit? Um, this was my second time in a jail. Well, not second time total, but a different facility. Um, I had an internship at Norfolk County Jail um, doing a methamphetamine study. Um, so I was exposed to, um, inmates and other like correctional officers, um, other employees, uh, throughout the summer. I was there once a week. Um, so, but, uh, Rhode Island Department of Corrections was a lot different than what I experienced in mass. All right. Keep talking about that a little bit. How, in what ways was it, was it different? How, what do you mean by that? What what were you experiencing there at Norfolk that's so much different at the institution that you visited? Um, so in Rhode Island, there it was a lot bigger than at Norfolk. And um, it was honestly surprising because um, in Rhode Island, since there was so much more people, I expected, um, like obviously being a woman walking into an all-men's prison um there's going to be like stairs or calls or stuff like that and um during my internship there was a lot more of that 
than with the smaller population than there was in the larger population um, in Rhode Island. And I mean, it could have been for a couple reasons. We were with a group and, you know, I was um, only accompanied by another like officer um, at my internship. So it was more, I guess, not a target, but easier to like stare at, I guess, than a whole group of people. Um, but that was like one of the main things I took away from it, that these inmates at um, in the Rhode Island, especially during rec center, they were just minding their own business, going in between different buildings. Like they didn't like care for us to be there at all. <laughs> now, are you talking about the medium uh, security institution that we visited and just how the amount of freedom they seem to have? Yeah, at medium, it was really surprising because in, intake was more of like um, just looking around. It was like kind of empty in there. But um, medium was really interesting to see because like literally they I it definitely could have been different for other people. But I feel it. Like, it felt like they just like were like, oh, yeah, people are touring. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Like I'm doing my thing. I have my schedule. Um, so, yeah. And Elena, can you tell us what was the most interesting thing you learned from touring the prisons recently? Most interesting thing I learned. Um, I know that we talked a lot in our class about the tablet thing and people have strong opinions on that. Um, I think it's really interesting that um, they're getting these tablets. And the thing that I think piqued a lot of students' interest was... Um, that they would get replacements if they were broken. I know that that rubs students a lot of uh, like different ways, like kind of like a bad way. But um, I guess that was one of my most interesting things to learn, um, as well as the amount of inmates that were out like during rec and the lack of guards. Um, there was like so many inmates out and I saw like two or three or four guards. I would assume that there would be way more supervision, um, for these people just like roaming around. Um, so that was really interesting to see. It was interesting. We were joined in class yesterday by a Lieutenant from the DOC who also mentioned that there, there's a bunch of corrections officers around the yard in yeah. places that just aren't less visible. And right. So that, that's that's something that was interesting to elaborate on top of that, uh, because it's something that we just don't think as much about. You look around and it, it's a little startling to see so many inmates and so few corrections officers, but they're, right. they're just strategically placed. And even if they were from a distance, it was like it's like what if I mean, he said that there was a riot. And so even if they are up on like a watchtower or something, where do you get the resources and like when you need to be down there immediately, you know? So that was interesting to see. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's so central that it, if they're going to mobilize, that would be the place to mobilize. Um, and following the tour, do you think that you could see yourself working in any kind of correctional environment? Um, yes, uh, I think so. But I also... Um, talking with uh like our tour guides and stuff they made it obvious that it's a very like taxing job they said that a lot of they've worked there for a long time they've seen a lot of changes within the prison system and they said that a lot of it doesn't um it it doesn't benefit 
any of the officers, it benefits the inmates. And so that was um, an interesting thing to hear. I think being in a, like the psychology department of a prison would be really interesting to see. Um, So I think I could see myself, but I think it would be harder than I would expect. <laughs> and and you mentioned it benefits the inmates. What what doesn't benefit the officers and benefits the inmates? Um like new policies and stuff. I don't remember exactly what he was saying, but I just remember him being um like I really don't remember what he was saying specifically, but um I I do remember him saying that different um policies or like outside rec time or, you know, whatever they have implemented throughout the years wasn't beneficial to the officers. It was beneficial to inmates and, um, like their comfortability. Yeah. It's an interesting point. And and our guest speaker touched on this yesterday too. And I've heard many officers comment on it over time where it's like the more privileges that inmates get officers feel like they're being shorted on privileges as well. And, and it's like, um, a perspective that you hear fairly often is like, I remember working with a guy who, who said we used to be able to like a bunch of us would grab an inmate and we'd open doors with their heads and, (sighs) and, uh, we, we can't do that anymore. They're so pro inmate now. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) that doesn't mean you're pro inmate. It means you're, you're not allowed to abuse people. Hopefully that's not something that's, Oh, that's a 2022, you know, policy change. That's really disappointed us. And we can, can, (laughs) but I don't know. Sometimes it's, uh, some of those policy changes, you think when they're good for, for the inmates, they might actually be good for the staff. It's like when we talk about the amenities that, that inmates have, I always will argue that any amenity that an inmate has is really a benefit for the staff because the, the more, now maybe I'm saying this, that the more we can have them occupied, have them um, busy, the better it is for the staff. So if they have televisions, if they have weights, if they have time in the rec yard, that's that's great for the staff because then they're not sitting there getting angry, thinking up ways to hurt people or escape or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like the electronic babysitter with the tablets. That's that's such a a motivator to not mess around. And if the officers working at the facility had mentioned that disciplinary infractions had been down since passing out tablets to everyone if apparently if you come in as an indigent person then you are given just like a bare bones tablet that has some rehabilitative some educational programs and if you can afford it you can buy movies music games stuff like that to entertain yourself and that's that's not a bad thing that inmates have that resource Yeah, I also think like the way that these um, officers were talking, um, it was almost like their sense of like responsibility and power was kind of taken away by like this electronic babysitter. And they said that they've gone through a lot of changes in the prison or like, like you said, they can't bash people's heads through the thing anymore. Um, I think um, from the way that they were talking, they seemed like they didn't have that that power anymore over the inmates, if that makes sense. So I think um, that was really interesting to see because even though they are distracted, the inmates are distracted, um, I think officers 
kind of strive to be more involved in what they do. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an interesting take. Um, and, and I, I want to put a disclaimer in here too with the officers talking about how they could bash inmates' heads against the door. That, that in no way reflects Rhode Island or the views of its yeah. officers. This is an officer I worked with years ago in Washington State. Um, but respect for the all the, the officers that we've gotten the chance to work with in Rhode Island Department of Corrections. Producer Britt, did you have any follow-up questions? Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I want to know about the smells of the prison. What did it smell like? Um, intake smelled bad. Um, but it just smells kind of like musty and um, mm-hmm. almost like if you walk into a hospital and you can smell like that stale food and like stale life almost <laughs> like <laughs> it it just has like um uh, it's obviously not like the most pleasant smell but it's not horrible but it's it's like stale is the right word to describe it <laughs> i feel very lived in yes very lived in and just like weird foods smells that don't go together and obviously like <laughs> Some like uh, probably smells like pee a little bit, or just like bo. Oh yeah, I've told my students bef- many times that's the smell of fear. Yeah. You know that's you know <laughs> when you're walking around all the time stressed out, fearful of what's going to happen to you. That's that's that those pheromones letting off a whole lot of fear. And I've told the student, I said, you guys do the same room to thing to an exam room. Yeah. If it's a small <laughs> one of the small rooms, probably. and yeah, you guys stink it up. <laughs> Elena, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Two, three, break! All right, our next victim is ready. All right. Student, please state your name. Danya. Dowdy. And uh, Danya, our... Um, uh, would you give us a little bit of your background in school and your interest in prisons? Yes, I am a double major in criminal justice and psychology, and I'm a senior. Um, and I'd like to do something uh, like corrections when I graduate. So, Danya, what what we're doing is is we're just talking um, with some students here to get some of their perspective for their experience on the prison trip. So, we've been talking the last few podcasts about the Rhode Island Department of Corrections, where we've gone over the institutions. And part of the glorious aspect of being a professor is being able to show people like yourself and other individuals that haven't had a whole lot of experience with prisons uh, what's actually going on there. So the first real thing we're we're interested in, is this the first institute, these two that we visited? Are those the first two institutions you've been to? Have you been anywhere else? Do you have any experiences? Um, I've never been to a prison before. The only place that I have been is my town hall um, of my hometown. I went through in high school and got to see the fingerprinting process and uh, intake for just like regular people there. Was that was that voluntary or were oh, you sure? Yes, <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> All right. So one of the things that I'm wondering is, you know, looking at this, what what in any way do you think you you learn from this experience that you could maybe go share? Like, I'm I'm sure when you talk to your parents and you say, hey, 
I went to a couple prisons today. They were what the what the hell? Um, what did you know? What was going on? They they want to know about it. Are you safe? That sort of thing. Um, what, what type of reactions did you have, and what did you tell people? You, you gained from this experience? Um, I was really surprised, honestly, with uh, the way that inmates were treated and kind of trusted in the in the prisons. Um, I know uh, some of their programs they had, inmates were making um, license plates and furniture, and they were trusted to be alone. I was really surprised by that. Um, and I was really surprised by um, the items that they were able to have, like tablets and headphones with wires. Um, I feel like we go through school and in classes we talk about all the things that they can't have and can't do. So I was surprised not to see all of those restrictions the entire time. Yeah, excellent point. And it, it was cool to see like the license plate production and industries with Rhode Island Department of Corrections. Uh, we saw license plate production. We saw auto repair uh, for all the state-run vehicles. We saw an upholstery shop. We saw carpentry. So we, we got to see a whole bevy of things, and I've never been back there before on a previous tour. It was more than I'd seen at any other facility um, in the state or outside of the state. But uh, besides being surprised, what was the most interesting thing that you learned from the prison tours? Again, probably just all the programs um, implemented in corrections facility, correctional facilities. Um, not even just the work programs, but also there was um, a dog training program for the canines. Um, I thought that was really interesting that, again, these inmates are trusted to do these things for our society. So it's it's nice to see that. Absolutely. We got to watch inmates training service dogs and in the process got to see them give commands to the service dog to go open a door or what was the other one? Turn on and off a light switch. Yeah. That was incredible. And it was nice because um, the inmates were talking about how uh, the canines are allowed to stay with them in their cell. And for a lot of them, they're lonely. So this was like something that definitely made the experience a lot less, um, a lot more uh, bearable. For sure. And with the, the service dog, we saw his trainer wasn't even with us that day because apparently the, the dog was about to be sent out to a high school student who had some kind of physical disability and that the inmate was so sad that the dog was leaving that he was up crying in his cell. And th that speaks to like the attachment that people gain with these dogs and how much it affects their lives. That, that was, uh, it really hit home. It was very touching. And so Danya, following the tour, could you see yourself working in any kind of correctional environment? Um, definitely. I feel like, um, most of the, People in our group are a little bit uncomfortable with the a little bit of heckling from the inmates and things. Um, I'm not really bothered by that kind of stuff. So I can definitely see myself fitting in and um, working in the correctional facilities. I promise you the heckling is one of the greatest things when you're an old man like me. does so much for the ego. Oh, my goodness. The things that they told me they want to do to me, I, I never hear that. <laughs> Brunson's wife hasn't said that to him in years. <laughs> she, she never said any of that stuff. Is she even able to do most of that stuff? No, the positions they said they were going to bend me into. <laughs> uh, uh, Producer Britt, you have any questions? Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, some of the job programs in prison. If you were locked up, what job would you want? Um, the license plate was actually the most interesting to me. Um, I I don't know why the machine pressing um, was interesting. I liked that. I liked the way that the 
kind of system they had set up for it. Um, I also really liked the woodworking. Um, they were all making little signs for each building, uh, each like entrance um, to different rooms with either the license plates or um, they would engrave it in like the wood or carve it into the wood. So I thought that was really cool too. All right. Danya, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you uh, enjoy the new sweatshirt. Oh, I definitely will. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. We appreciate your time. All right. Welcome, student. Uh, will you state your name, please? Hi. Um, I'm Billy Roach. I'm a sophomore criminal justice major. Hi, Billy. Uh, would you mind telling us, uh, was this your first time being in a prisoner jail, and what's your experience with the correctional system? So even though I lived in and out my whole life, this was my first time at the, uh, at the Cranston ACI. Um, it was honestly a really cool experience. Like walking in, it was kind of, um, or I'm walking into to the medium intake, or to the medium facility, sorry. Um, I thought it was like kind of like that old school, like prison, like look to it. And then as we walked inside, we started in the cafeteria, um, just how clean it was and like how not modern, but like modern looking for a prison, I guess. And, um, like walking throughout, um, all the different institutions, I thought it was really cool how, um, like through like good behavior, all these inmates have the opportunity to like have a job and, um, to like kind of do something with their time. And I thought that uh, they did a really good job um, over there at the medium facility. Uh, one, the great thing about being a professor in, in this area in terms of corrections is we get to kind of pull back the curtain about what's going on in, in this world. And so one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of interested in is your viewpoint on what, when, when you go through this and you talk to your friends, you talk to your family about what the hell you just went through in terms of visiting a couple institutions. What do you tell them? What do you talk about? What, what things really stick in your head and pop out? So I definitely say one of the biggest things, well, the first person that I talked to was my mom. She was really concerned that I was going to a prison. Like, like I didn't really give her much context. I was like, Hey mom, like I'm going to prison. And I didn't really tell her what I was doing there. So when she called me after um, I went, I was like, Mom, like this place was honestly really cool. It was a really great experience. Um, I'm being a criminal justice major, being interested in this field, like having it be a potential job one day. Um, I thought it was like great to see um, just kind of how everything functioned, like everything that we learned in class was put into action, like in an actual facility. And I think that was um, kind of one of the things that I would tell people is that like like everything that like you think happens like happens in an actual prison. It's not just all like in the movies. Like it's like real life scenarios and like a lot of stuff like that. So and so you mentioned that you had a job interest there following the tour. Do you see yourself working in a correctional environment as a career? After talking with Professor Bronson, I've definitely considered it. Um, definitely leaning more the law. And enforcement route I actually interned with the state police over the summer so I spent um some time in not like facilities but um we would um transport people from the state police holding cells so um, I kind of have um a little experience in that sense as well um but yeah I definitely see it being a future career path and Billy of all the things you saw on that tour what what in, what was the most interesting the singular most interesting thing you saw i would definitely say the most interesting thing that i saw was the organization i mean like you think of like prison sometimes as just like pure chaos but um when we were at the meeting facility it was like everything was in order um 
like kind of like what you see in like some movies where um you have like all like the kitchen utensils in a locked box and like you like trade it like a pin for like a spatula and everything had a certain spot and it was kind of cool to see that like these inmates know that if something's out of place they're they all go into lockdown so it's just everyone follows the rules for the most part and just how um just kind of like the everyday operations of it all yeah absolutely so we see that in the kitchen with like even a spatula or a knife or anything there's an outline where it goes and they they log everything check it in check it out um and so it's like that for power tools it's it's like that for every kind of outside piece of any kind of appliance or tool anything that they could pick up and walk away with has to be checked out and accounted for with responsibility and producer Britt, do you have any questions? Yeah, yeah. Uh, having seen a prison up close now, what single thing would you change or reform to improve the prison? Don't you know, producer Britt, that these prisons are perfect the way they are? <laughs> it doesn't matter. So the news update about, you know, with, with Congress mm-hmm. coming together, bipartisan Congress coming together to work together for the Federal Bureau of Prisons to get their act together with health care mm-hmm. clearly isn't necessary. These prisons are perfect. So... Billy, did you think of anything? Um, while I was there, I feel like um, to bring it back t- to the kitchen, they had one knife and it was like on a wire. Um, but like there were other like tools, like uh, th- there was like a um, like a big like piece of metal with like pointy edges on it, and like that wasn't like attached to anything. And I feel like those could be used as weapons if it was needed. But I feel like the 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 knives on the strings didn't really like serve its purpose in that sense we actually talked about that while we were inside there as well um i think you pointed that out to me actually and i was like huh that's actually that actually makes a lot of sense so yeah definitely uh some of the power tools that are uh accessible to to these inmates i feel like um should be watched over a little bit better ronson any more questions no i I, and i billy really appreciate you coming in and chatting with us about your experience I do need to put out Billy as one of our superstar athletes. He's on our incredible rugby team here at Roger Williams. So he's one of one of those that's that's doing everything, living life to the fullest here at Roger Williams. For sure, for sure. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a tough balance, but we figure it out. Thanks, Billy. Good to meet you, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Hello, welcome. I don't believe we've met. I, I'm Professor Straw. I'm Bianca DeSisto. Hi, Bianca. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit, bit about yourself with uh, your major and interest in the criminal justice system? Yes, of course. So I am a criminal justice and psychology major, and I like my aspiring career would probably be, be like a psychologist in the correction system itself. So. Can't get away with all these damn psych majors here. I don't know. They're going to end up like you, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> They're like parasites on our program. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Truth hurts sometimes. I, I, I say it as a, a I, I was a psych major as well. Um, so, it's only love. so um, one of the great things about being a professor is we get to rip back this curtain that exists here. Um, in the world of corrections and show you all about what's going on. Um, and I just want to know what 
when, after you visit this prison, now you, this is not your first prison trip at all, is it? No, I actually, last year I visited the maximum security prison at the ACI and I also visited the intake center last year. All right. So <clears throat> what, when you experience it, when you go to these prison tours, what do you tell family, friends that want to know that you're safe on the way out or um, that they, they find out you visited? What, what, what do you talk about with them? Usually I text my mom and I'm like, hey, I'm going to the prison and, like the first time. And she's like, you're what? And I was like, oh, I'm going to the prison. It's like it's for one of my classes. She's like, oh, OK. And then this time I had told her beforehand that, that we were probably going to go to the prison again. And I was like, I already have my outfit down. And I was like, I'll just I'll just text you when I get out because she like the last time she was texting me while I was in there. But I obviously didn't have my phone with me. And um, then this time I was like, I'll just text you when I get out of there because like I'm fine. I'm fine. I guess I'd never thought about that. If our students have parents or loved ones checking in on them while they're on the tour, they can't answer those texts for some strange reason. You, you tell your parents, hey, I'm going to prison. And then you don't answer their texts, what they must be thinking. Yeah, I've had so many students tell me their parents were concerned for them going on the prison tour. There's no reason for concern. I don't think there's ever been an incident that I've ever heard of with a tour group. Have, have you ever heard of it? Yeah, there was that one tour group that where they were taken hostage, kind of. They were held for a little bit. And there was also that one where they grabbed the, the kid on the tour and somebody switched clothes and it made escape as part of the tour group. What? Are, are you serious? Uh, 100%. Yeah. So two, two, no, 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 definitely not with me. But there were two, uh, two <laughs> there's two big uh, incidents with tour groups. One with, where they were held. And I can't remember what state it was in, um, where they were held and, and, you know, kind of like, like I, like I mentioned, they were kind of, uh, taken hostage, but the, the one, nothing really came of it. They were only there for a little bit and, you know, the inmates gave up pretty quick, but then the other big one was there was a tour group and they grabbed one of the guys, one of the kids on the tour, pulled him into a cell, told him to get his clothes off real quick. And one of the inmates put his clothes on and joined the tour with the visitor's badge and walked out with the tour group. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a smart escape, right? Yeah. Right. Um, going back to your, uh, your question, professor straw, um, about like, like what my parents kind of think and like what my family members think. Um, also like my mom knows that this, well, my mom and my dad both know that this is like what I want to do for the future. So they're like, kind of just letting me go and do whatever I want. And I also had told her that while we were there, um, Bronson was like counting us the whole entire time just because like of his past experience in the correction system. So like, I think that like, honestly, that like makes, I think me and my classmates feel more secure while we're there. And I honestly didn't really have any worries while I was there because I know that like we're in a protected kind of like environment while we're there sure you've got your own bubble there now as as someone who wants to work in a correctional environment after seeing the rhode island facilities a couple of times what do you think will be the biggest challenge for you to get through working in a correctional environment in the future i think honestly it's going to be like picking the right kind of place and like the right kind of facility to work in because like i've never been in a women's facility so like i don't really know what that really looks like but going into, ma like, men's facilities, I think that, like, 
I could see myself being in a men's facility because I know that like a lot of them have like mental health issues and I'd be able to help with that. So I just think that my biggest challenge would probably be like picking the right kind of facility for me. And I'm, I'm asking all students this one. What was the most interesting thing you took away from the tour? Um, I think the most interesting thing for me, at least at the medium security, was going back into like the industries part of the facility and seeing like all of the work that the inmates actually get to do while they're incarcerated. Um, I was especially like surprised to find out that they make the license plates for our state and I didn't know that before going in there and then I was also really surprised that the one of the industries was like where they made the clothes for everybody and all like the like prison attire that got shut down during COVID because they're like I don't think there was like enough staff right um and then I also really enjoyed being able to talk to some of the inmates who are part of the, what's the program called again? What's the, I, I can't remember the official name of the dog program that they had. Yeah. Um, but the dog pilot program, which is why I'm surprised all of our students didn't say that is the the very first. Yeah, right. The very first thing. It, it, but it's I, called the, the, the needs program. Yeah, the needs right. program. Right. Uh, yeah. And our students aren't saying anything about, I'm, I mean, she, I, I think it's because she doesn't care about living creatures. So she doesn't even like dogs. No, she, you don't I like dogs. Do, I have three of them. That doesn't mean you like them. <laughs> Bronson has kids. <laughs> I take care of kids for a living. Um, but no, I really liked being able to talk to the inmates and um, like learn about their experience in the needs program with being able to train these dogs. One of them, I think he said he's trained like 20 different dogs which kind of really goes to show like how long he's been in there. But um, they said overall that this program has helped them become like a different person completely. And um, I think it'd be like a beneficial program for like a lot of the inmates that are in there. Uh, in your experience, getting to see and talk to the inmates who work in the program, what effect did you see on them from working with the dogs? Honestly, overall, like, not that they could be like ever really happy and content like being in a prison, but honestly, they seemed like happier than the average inmate, I think, would because they have this thing to look forward to every single day, being able to train a dog and keep it with them at all like all times. Cause I asked them, I asked one of them a question. I was like, uh, I was very curious to see if the dog literally goes everywhere with them. And they said that it goes to count with them, everything. And I just think that overall, like, they have, like, a much more, like, brighter personality and a brighter outlook on their sentence and who they are as a person because they said they, they feel really good about being able to help um, people who actually, like, need these dogs. So they, th they said it's very rewarding. So Yeah, I love to see that. I love to see how excited they are to talk about the dogs. That, that's really something meaningful. Now, producer Britt, did you have any questions? Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about uh, hostage situations, and I wanted to know uh, if you were taken hostage during a prison tour, would you do what they say or be a hero, or would that decision depend on who's taking you hostage? Um, if I was at a men's facility, I'd probably say I would just do what they say <laughs> because I'd probably be scared that they would beat me. <laughs> but like at a women's facility, I think like, I think my ego tells me that I would have the means to defend myself 
and like be a hero if we were taken hostage. I didn't tell you she was sexist as hell. <laughs> Very funny. Awesome. Bianca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yo, producer Britt, what time is it? I think it's time for the movie minute. Movie, movie minute. Movie minute. Movie, movie minute. Movie minute. 60 seconds with producer Britt to talk about movies. Oh boy, let's put 60 seconds on the clock. So this week I watched 2005s, 2006s, Let's Go to Prison. So, uh, Let's Go to Prison is a revenge tale, a lot like The Count of Monte Cristo, if the stakes were more like the vengeance of a Monte Cristo sandwich that was imprisoned for 20 years. <laughs> the movie revolves around a newly released recidivist felon named, uh, played by Dax Shepard, whose one drive is to get vengeance on the judge who kept sending him to jail. The only catch is the judge is dead. So instead, he chooses to take revenge on his son, a bourgeois trust funder played by Will Arnett. He gets Arnett sent to jail. Then he decides to become incarcerated with him so he can manipulate his downfall from the inside. There are no fewer than a dozen sexual assault jokes, with the only other real jokes being a white supremacist bent on vengeance and a hippie prison drug dealer. The ending tries to have a fun twist that could have been made okay with brevity, but it drags out for 10 or 15 minutes and is wholly uninteresting and deeply unsatisfying. Overall, this movie sucked on pretty much every single level. There were a few good performances by Chi McBride, Dylan Baker, and Michael Shannon. But other than that, the whole thing felt like an overlong series of bad comedy sketches and gags, which should honestly be way below director Bob Odenkirk's skill level. Overall, I give it two out of ten soups. <laughs> nice. Very few soups. That, that sounds awful. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> It was real miserable. Like I kept on, I, I don't even wear a watch and I kept looking at my wrist. It's just like, <laughs> is this over yet? What was the worst part of it for you? Um, I think every time the um, Chi McBride's character come, came up like in the shower and it started playing like romantic, you know, like, uh, you know, like boom, chicka, wow, wow music. <laughs> yeah. Yuck. That's the cheesy yeah. stripper music, right? Or cheesy romantic yeah. scene. Oh, it's, it just sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Real, real bad. Not recommended to anybody, especially if you're in prison. It'll, I, I feel like this is like worse than solitary. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's something, you know, uh, you suggest that uh, Kim Jong-un had start showing it to the political prisoners over there in uh, North Korea, right? What, don't, doesn't don't he play him? Ideas. What's that? Don't give him ideas. You know he's a listener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of our subscribers in North Korea, right? Uh, <laughs> doesn't he play like Justin Timberlake music full blast for days on end? I don't know. The U.S. has done that. Like the U.S. used to do like Metallica and System of a Down and stuff in like Afghanistan and Iraq to torture mm. people. So yeah, I, I I could see that very aggressive music, but it's also good music. You know, <laughs> so. is it? 
Some some people like JT. No, no, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking system of a down in Metallica. I wasn't talking to JT. That's awful. <laughs> well, we're we're sorry to hear it was a uh, a real stinkeroo. Yeah. Do we have a do Do we have something I'm watching next week? Well, I I was really hoping as we're entering the holiday season that you might be able to find something related to the holidays. So if there's something, either women in prison or holidays in prison, um, yeah, that would be fantastic. Or even just a Hallmark, uh, oh, how about holiday and handcuffs? That That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think I have that one, don't I? I, I think you do. Uh, oh, yeah, the one with Melissa Joan Hart and Mario Lopez. Yeah, I definitely have that one. Yes, perfect. Yeah. I, I think we got it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> Oh, no. A struggling artist working as a waitress kidnaps one of her customers to take home to meet her parents at Christmas time. <laughs> what? You could just call her a waitress. I mean, the struggling artist is implied if you're... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so. That just sounds awful from the review, from the write-up. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, it's, so... It can be worse than let's go to prison. Nothing. So... <laughs> So, Britt, I have to ask you, since you are our local movie expert and the holidays are coming up. Mm-hmm. Now, this one, I need it, a definitive answer on this because it's it's dividing friendships of people I know. So I need to, from your perspective, as you are an expert, mm-hmm. is the movie Die Hard, the original, a Christmas movie? It's a movie that takes place at Christmas time. I would consider the second one to be far more of a Christmas movie because it actually like leans into the Christmas themes a lot more. Um, I, I, I would consider them Christmas tangential. I'd consider it just as much a Christmas movie as my favorite Christmas movie, 1984's Gremlins. Ah. Uh. Okay, that's your favorite Christmas movie more, more so than like a Muppet Christmas Carol, which I oh, believe that, is that's true. I do love a Christmas Muppet Carol. Christmas Carol. <laughs> Gremlins, Gremlins rocks though. Gremlins is great, man. I remember watching that in the movie theater. That was, man, that was such a good movie. Yeah, such a like, good movie in the movie theater. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, any, anything Joe Dante, I I am in love with. So, hmm. Okay, well. Yeah, I, I mean, you you kind of hung me there with a little. It's kind of a, a Christmas movie. It's it's Christmas, but it's, it's also not. <laughs> yeah, if if you want to call it a Christmas movie, watch around Christmas time. I got no problems with that. I don't care. I don't care what movies people watch. You know, no. <laughs> oh, see, I'm one of those. I'm in the camp of no, it's not one. And I got I got some friends that are just they're uh, they're losing their minds that it is one. But I'll, I'll bring up the whole Gremlins argument as a as a good as a good point. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, it's not a Christmas themed movie, but it does have Christmas themes in it. Correct. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's movie minute. Well, I think we're all prisoned out for the day, aren't we? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the pod. Uh, please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Beck Straw. And I'm Professor Eric Bronson. Lights out, lights out, lights out, lights out, lights out, lights out.